am so excited about losing an hour of sleep. You with me? Wasn't that fun? Didn't you enjoy it? Can we, let's do it again tonight, huh? Let's do that. My dog, she didn't know what to do. What are you waking me up for? <laughs> Poor little thing. So anyway, here we are, excited about losing an hour of sleep, but we're here anyway. So good for all of us because this is awesome to be able to do this, and I really am profoundly gratified, excited. I love you. This is just great to be able to figure out how to be family together, and that's, that is really fundamentally what we're doing. So as McLean has already said, here we are kicking around this idea of 40, reminding you of what we mean by that, the word Lent, L, not L-I-N-T, the stuff in the drying, but L-E-N-T. It's probably Latin, who knows, and it's a way of observing Jesus in the wilderness 40 days and other 40s, but it's preparing us for Good Friday, which is really bad Friday that turns out to be Good Friday. What we're doing is we're saying, how can we be aware of how we need the love of God that we know is true in the cross of Jesus? How can we be more aware of our need for, re for transformation based on our admitting to God that we were broken? All of that's going in there. And so we're working on it. Again, I remind you that it's Lent is 40 days beginning on Wednesday, February 22 this year because Easter is Sunday, uh, April 9. Just for those that want to know, how do they, why does Easter keep flipping around? I'll tell you why. Easter Sunday is always the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Huh? You, can you remember that now on a pop quiz? No. Look it up, Google it. You'll find either vernal or spring is the name of the equinox. And that day happens to be Monday the 20th at exactly the time that Forbici starts at 5.24 p.m. <laughs> Did you know that? You didn't. So when you go to Forbici, you're going to also be observing the switch from winter to spring. So the spring starts at 5.24 p.m. on Sunday, uh, Monday the 20th of March. That was at no extra charge right there. But back to, back to 40. What we've been saying is it's something, it seems to be God's kind of go-to number. 40 is. And so we see 40 days, in a couple of cases, 40 years, 40 this, 40 that, and the next thing you know, something new, something important, something life-changing takes place. And today what we're going to wonder about is Moses waiting to hear from God for 40 days up on a mountain. The mountain is called Sinai. You might not have heard of that. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. But he, go, Moses is waiting to hear from God. And what Moses hears is something I think you are familiar. We know it in our culture in English as the, quote, Ten Commandments. You heard of them? You heard of the Ten Commandments? I think you probably have. You're wondering, where is this mountain? The mountain is there. And I don't know if you can go there or not because I, it's in, it's in modern-day Saudi Arabia. And I, most people, I don't know whether you can go to Saudi Arabia or not. I don't know. But it's still there, that mountain. It's about 7,500 feet above sea level. And there are other mountains around it that are a little taller. It's not, it wasn't picked by God because it was the tallest. God just picked it. Anyway, that's where Moses goes to hear from God. But the, the scriptures say that Moses, before we show you the scriptures that show you the Ten Commandments themselves we're going to do, I want to remind you of this. The people had been for 430 years enslaved in Egypt. They left Israel because there was a famine, a little tiny little clan. They go to Egypt, for, and it takes 430 years for them to get big, but they get real big. There's over a million of them now. God having promised to Abraham, one dude, I'm going to make you a big family. And I'm going to use that big family to let everybody know how, that I love them. 
And you're going to get, you're going to experience my love in the word in the Bible sometimes is blessed. You're going to experience my love. And then you're also going to go and love other people. You're going to be blessed and then you're going to have love to give. And so they're going to be blessed. So our job, Kathy's already said, our job is to love people really well with God's love because we've been loved. And the next thing you know, God will start to look really good to them and they'll be drawn to him by how we treat each other and how we treat them. All of that's what's going on. It's never been any different God. It's been God's plan from the beginning. And Moses' people get rescued by God, but they're so thick-headed. Oh, they just grumble and gripe. They're literally rescued from the most heinous world power ever known, the king of Egypt known as Pharaoh. He thought it was a good thing to commit genocide. And he wiped out every two-year-old boy and younger in order to try to get this prophet who he was told was going to be born. He thought that was a good thing. How evil is that? And they're rescued from that. And this evil person and many of his troops are killed in the, in the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. But they're grumping and complaining. They get on the other side of the Red Sea and they just want. They just go, I want to go back to Egypt. They, they said to Moses, their leader, let's go back because we're hungry. At least we had food to eat. That's how twisted their thinking gets. So God is saying, these people got to hear from me. I got to help them understand how to live right with me. And he gets them to Saudi Arabia. It takes forever. It took 40 years to get them on the whole trip. It's a three-week trip. It took them 40 years. That's how knucklehead they were. You, by the way, are just as much a knucklehead. As am I. I'm the lead knucklehead. <laughs> Try being married to me. But anyhow, that's a whole other matter. All of that's to say that these grumbling, losing trust kind of people, they can't see the way to see that God really is, can be relied on and that God has done great. They forget about God's goodness in their own self-absorption. So he gets them to the foot of this big hill and he calls Moses up there. And look at what it says. It says, Moses entered the cloud. God is saying, come on, Moses. Everybody else stay back. Moses, come with me. And he goes up on the mountain again, Mount Sinai, 7,500 feet. He goes up there and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, so these people who are down below start grumbling again. I mean, they, they want instant gratification. They want it now. Get it now. Whatever you're doing, whatever God, I want it now. But that's not what, how God is rolling. And Moses says 40 days. And then what happens after that? This is the new beginning that's so cool. And we're going to read them. I'm going to read for you the Ten Commandments. We're going to go one slide at a time. You ready? And here they come. And I have cut a few things out because a couple of them have paragraphs that explain a little bit more what they mean. But this is going to sound reasonably familiar to you. You can read them. I'm going to read them for us also. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now we get started. We're warmed up here. Let me remind you that what this is about is God trying to show us how to live right with him and live right with each other. This is not a transactional checklist. This is a guide to help us have great relationships with God and with each other and to treat people right. Number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. In other words, it was the context 
And this is what the grumbling knuckleheads did for those 40 days. They got tired of waiting on God, so they made this thing called out. They took all their gold, and they melted it down. They made an image of a calf because in the cultures around them, people worshipped all kinds of things, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, fertility, sex, whatever. They were, they, and they also would make this thing a calf or a bull, and they would worship it. They, I don't know what they did. But it was their way of trying to make sense out of the universe. They were scared of it, but they, they made it. So that's what they did. I can't believe they did this. Remember, God got them out of slavery. So that's number two. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And sometimes you've heard it said this way, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And people means that's a cuss word. Uh, yeah, you know, the cuss word is offensive, but think it means a little more than that. It means somehow stating that God is, is on your side in some way that's foul. It's almost like Pharaoh saying, I'm the Lord, and therefore I'm going to kill all the two-year-olds. So it has a little bit more to it than just saying a bad two-syllable word or three-syllable word. Yeah, uh, where was it? You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses the name. When we say someone and speak on behalf of God, we're sort of saying that God has stamped it with his approval. So it's more than just our language. But anyway, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Look at the next one. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. That means rest. Shut off the devices. Don't work. Chill. Enjoy God. Hang. Chill. Be cool. Let it go. Go play golf. Golf counts, by the way, in Sabbathing. I just want you all to know that. Here, honor your father and your mother. What we're going to do today is we're going to blow this one up really cool. We're coming back to it, and that's where I'm going to sit down. And we're going to, you're going to hear things about what that means that you've never thought of before. And I think we're going to have a blast making this what we walk away with today. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give fault with false witness against your neighbor. And then at number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. If Jesus is kind to us. He gives us an executive summary. You want that? Huh? You can't remember the ten of them. Can you remember the seven dwarfs? No. I can. Sleepy, sneezy, dopey, smiley, happy, bashful, doc. No, no. Grumpy, sleepy. Anyway, I blew it. Hey, you didn't know them. Where was it? Executive summary. Here's Jesus' executive summary of these words that Moses has heard from God. Look carefully at them. Notice how fundamentally, endlessly, never-endingly, deeply relational they are. It's about being in a right relationship with God and with each other in the family of faith and also with everybody else. And these ten words that we get from God help us to see how to do it. It's God loving us are these 10 words. And it's all about God's love for us and our love for each other and our love for God. Look at what Jesus says. Here's how you summarize it. The love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor and your, as yourself. And then Jesus does a little theological stapling for us here. He, he's hyperlinking back to this great Old Testament stuff. 
all the law, that is what we just heard, the Ten Commandments and the prophets, hang like hinges on these two executive summary pieces. In other words, everything that all these guidelines are about, they're, they're more than just suggestions, by the way. You know, th these are not suggestions. These are mandates. But it's not, it's not meant to be taken transactionally, like check it off and I'm okay. That's not it at all. It's about relational engagement. And here's a way to know whether or not we're getting it on right, getting it right or not. Did we get off the, outside the white lines and go off the road into the ditch? Well, if you, if you steal, you're, you've run off the road. Would you like an illustration of stealing? <laughs> you're going to get one. Stealing, this is about me. So this is a long time ago, which is why it's easy to tell it. <laughs> I flat out totally and completely ripped off a whole entire course when I was in college. You ready? Here's how I did it. I went to a class. It was called International Relations. I hated it. I didn't understand why it was important. I wasn't paying no attention. I didn't care about economics, but I went to the class because I don't know why. I had to have some class in some category. So I went and I listened to the lectures, but that's all I did. And it was just based on a paper. The whole class was based on one paper. Well, I just simply, literally, all I did was go to the congressional record and read a few things about trade relations between the United States and Canada. I couldn't, I couldn't begin to even write, so I didn't write anything. I did nothing. Are you with me? No, no thing. Nothing. I did, well, almost nothing. I read the congressional record. Didn't even take any notes. It was boring to me, too. So the people turn in their uh, papers, and then the professor passes the papers back out, and I, I heard him talking to someone about their paper about the economic relations between Canada and the United States. And so the whole thing finishes. You want to know what I did? I raised my hand. I said, Mr., what's your name? Where's mine? That's what I said. Where's my paper? He goes, I, he goes, I don't know. I said, well, I wrote about Canada and the United States. Do you remember reading it? He goes, yes. He said, yes. So I said, what are we to do here? <laughs> McLean is horrified. <laughs> so I'll, the executive summary of all that is I talked him into giving me a C- minus until he found it. He gave me the C minus. Sayonara, baby. That was it. I got, you know, D, you had to repeat it. C, C counted. He gave me a C minus. I never did a thing. Guess what I did? I stole credit from that fine institution. <laughs> or like, you're going you're gonna to quit and not work for me anymore. <laughs> Have you ever stolen anything and either gotten caught or not? For us in life groups, for the life group questions that are coming to you beginning tomorrow, that's going to be an opening question to warm it up. What have you ever stolen? What, what of these Ten Commandments have you broken and gotten caught? Or maybe you broke them and didn't get caught. And remember, in our life groups, we have authenticity, we have transparency, we have vulnerability, but we also have one more really important and vital thing, confidentiality. <laughs> now, I've exposed myself to the world, and so now the, the degree-granting institutions that I've been a part of may come back and take my degrees away, but I'm going to take the chance. Well... That's a true story, and I did steal that class, and I don't know that I even regretted it. <laughs> I confess my sin now. My children are out of school. My grandchildren aren't listening. I'm good. You know. Honor your father and your mother. Let's just talk about that for a while. So 
that's what we want to do. We want, uh, we, there, we, we want to talk about honoring our father and mother. What in the world does that mean? And I'm going to do my best to help you see how to fill that out right now today in a difficult world in which we live. How can we honor our father and mother? Here's what I think we need to begin to think about. It's about posture. It's about how are we relating to our family, just about our family, mother and father. Kathy and I live in a stack of four generations. We have Kathy's mom and dad who are alive, very alive, very well. Then you have Kathy and me. Then you have our children and their wives, and we have their two children each. So there's four stacks of us. So honor our father and our mother is about our families, and it goes both ways. So there are people who, who are older than you are, who are your moms or dads or whatever, your aunts, uncles, and there are people who are your, your siblings, and then you have children, maybe you have grandchildren. Maybe you have even great-grandchildren because there is at least one person in the room that has great-grandchildren. So how do we honor them? And here's a kind of sloganish way of saying it. You ready? Fight for their hearts. Or say it slightly differently. Fight for relationship. Fight for relationship. Stop for a minute and think with me. What all is going on in our world that's working against relationship? It's endless. In fact, I would suggest to you, fighting for relationship, making it even a little more granular, is to fight for conversation. Conversation itself in our culture is in a crisis we don't know how to talk. Why? Screens. Now, I'm not, I'm not being um, shallowly um, judgmental about screens. I'm addicted to mine. It's a part of my humanity. But think about it for a minute. Do we know how to talk to each other, and have we not been losing it? It's the threading and the we in the blanket start to come apart. I think that's what's happening. I think what happens in our homes is we, we have this bad habit of pulling out our screens and not talking to each other. Now, just a sidebar, it, the pandemic really accelerated this. It was already happening. And I'm not, I'm, I, what I'm trying to say to you is these trends were going on because the iPhone got launched in 2007. And we began to look at it and look at what's going on with people and we quit talking to each other as much. If you're going to honor your father and mother up and down the generations that are in your life, oh, we got to fight this. we got to fight for a relationship. And we got to revive conversation. we got to get better at talking. And it scares us, but that's another thing. When we, are, when we sit at our tables for meals, many, many families... Out come the phones. If you happen to be a family, a family that has a teenager at home, a middle or high school age teenager, or even a college student, guess what they want you to do? Mom, dad, put it down. They want to talk to you. They may not know how to say it. And they, you are the one that needs to lead them. Put it down. And so what's happened to us, what's happened to us, we're on our phone. So here's two, it's two things. One, have a meal. 
put the phone down. And here's, your, I'm going to say to you, ask questions. You're going to say to your middle school kid, how was school today? Good. Well, what was football practice like? No, that's all right. You're going to get monosyllabic grunts. Maybe you'll be able to interpret them into English. I get it. But a grunt is at least something. <laughs> so I understand if you are at home with teenagers, your, your younger kids might talk a little bit more. Get about fourth or fifth grade and they just start grunting. You think, what, what happened? What did I do wrong? <laughs> so if you don't have that yet, it's coming. And if you're in it, don't feel special. Everybody has it. And then some of us can look back at it and go, God is good because we got by it. <laughs> so fighting for a relationship is about honoring. So I'm just giving you a fuller understanding of what that word might mean. And it, part of it has to be talking to each other and admitting that in the modern world, we're quick. We don't want to miss out. So I hear the but if I have the thing on, on the sound on, and I don't, I was terrible. And I had a special noise for the text message. It ding, and this dopamine goes through my head. And I want to see who it was. Well, I have the sound turned off on mine, but I'm still like this. Or I start in on a conversation that drifts over into Kathy and me trying to be together with each other, and I won't put it down. She says, what are you doing? I say, I'm talking to Nate. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, I'm I blah, blah. We quit talking. So we, we have to learn how to talk to each other. We have to get better at it. Now, here's the first thing when we start talking to each other. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to disagree. That's going to happen. You're going to disagree with people you love deeply. But just I just want you to think mathematical symbol. Disagree, disrespect. Put the equal sign in it and put a line through it. Disagree does not mean disrespect. In fact, with humility, if we listen really well to people, then conversation starts to increase in quality. If we listen well, and especially when we listen well to people who differ with us about something or who are different from us or both, we don't, we don't get to say, not them. Well, at least Jesus didn't say that to us. He didn't say, not them. He said, I love all of you. I respect all of you. I'm going to honor all of you. I'm going to listen to all of you. I want to relate to all of you. How, which of us? All of us. The whole planet. Every person on the planet. Not everybody but. And you pick your butt. Who's on the other side of whatever it is that you're really riled up about? And we're riled up. Of course we are. You're, you and I are riled up about some things. And we are. So... If you're a donkey, you're riled up at the elephants. If you're an elephant, you're riled up at the donkeys. Just to pick one. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about honor and respect and conversation and listening and restoring it. Here's what happens when we listen well to each other, when we're, when we're fighting for relationship. Here's what happens. God gets bigger. Faith gets deeper. Because we learn to listen, which the only way you can listen well and I can listen well is if I will shut mine off and try to understand yours. And then we begin to restore and fight for a relationship and the conversation that needs to take place that happens. There, a crisis moment comes up. You've got a couple of choices. I have a couple of choices. Crisis moment comes up. And I could do this. I could say, I'm going to be the judge and the jury. I could handle it that way. Or 
I could say, what can I do to help? So one of those is going to lead to this. And the other is going to help rebuild. A crisis is going to happen. It's a chaotic mess out there. And families feel it. Your family feels it. Our family feels it. Families can't not feel it. When I say family now, I'm talking about the people you live with or the people who are your parents or your siblings or the people who are around you. You may not live in the same roof, but every single person has something that we would call a family. No one doesn't have that. And we have multiple generations for many of us. So crisis is going to happen. Just a word about me and my transformation. So my relationship with Jesus is so real I can't even stand it. I'm so excited to be a follower of Jesus. And some stuff that's powerful has happened to me in the last three years, right before my mom's death and since. And here's what happened with me. In my upbringing, instead of fighting for a relationship, a lot of what I learned to do was fight or flight. And some of the things that went down, happened in my family, my, my extended family, my siblings, is that I did a little bit of both, fight and flight, but conversation began to go thin. And I don't, I, what happened is somehow... One of the blessings, I guess, of my mom's sickness and then her death is I began to soften. And so it took humility, letting go of feeling wronged, though there wasn't a great deal of that, but there was a little of that, letting go of that and then taking steps to talk. And I, you, can't, you can't buy it for money. And I just feel like Jesus has said, Fitch, you idiot, go talk. They're your people. Be in a relationship with them. Find some common ground. Work there on common ground. And so that's what I've been doing. That's what I want. I want to be close. Don't you? You do. You want to be close. And it's so hard when you've been so hurt or when there's such difference. And there's some things that aren't going to get close. I get that. I know that. In our families, like mom, dad, siblings, sons, daughters, there's stuff that's broken and there's just no, it just doesn't seem possible that it'll get fixed. And sometimes it doesn't in our relationships with each other. But we're fighting for relationship. That's how we honor our family. Some of the, one of the things that I think that families are concerned about right now today, if you, if you go out and people do this kind of questioning and they, they summarize the data, and I want to speak for a minute just to families who have kids. Here's, here's what's happening, I think, with you. If you have middle school and even high school kids, here's some of what I think is happening with you. You're really concerned about your child's physical health. Here's what's happening. Kid hits middle school, starts into more extracurricular activity, maybe has sports, has more homework, and literally they don't get enough sleep. You're probably also worried about their nutrition. They simply, it's just, and it's easy to throw a slab of pizza out. I get it. I'm going to eat pizza for lunch. And the other thing I think families are worried about is anxiety. It's at an all-time high in the way that it gets measured. Right now today, teenagers are experiencing more anxiety than anybody ever has seen before to the degree that you can measure it. It's uh, anxiety slash stress and that's what's going on out there and your kids are not going to want to sit with you and talk they're going to resist and they're going to give you monosyllabic grunts when you ask them how we're, how are our things but don't 
quit and do stuff together. This is little stuff. It's not like there's some big idealistic world that's about to break open. No way. It's just little everyday stuff. Talking and looking for ways, what can I do to help? That you honoring your father and mother, fighting for a relationship, it's looking for ways that I can help and asking people simple questions and, and working on it. And so if you have teenagers, that's a particularly difficult challenge. They're going to be okay. You keep loving them well. You keep being consistent. They're going to grow up and they're going to be your friends. They could easily end up being your best friends. That's unbelievably the case with Kathy and me and with our children and their spouses. Unbelievable friends. Friends. I'm still his dad. But we are friends. I trust my children with everything I have. I won't make a big decision without talking to them first. They're grown. They want me to prosper and flourish. And I've had to say I'm sorry as a grown-up man to grown-up men about stuff that I was responsible for. You want to have a great relationship with your kids. And, but we have to learn to fight for it. And it takes a fight. And it's harder and harder today maybe than it's ever been. Another thing that I think that we're vulnerable with, and maybe if you're a, a young adult or a young person, maybe you're married, maybe you're dating, maybe you don't have children yet. If you have children, life changes dramatically. But if you don't have children yet and you're an adult, you might be so busy that you simply don't take the time to reach out and talk. I understand. I was so busy in my 20s and 30s trying to figure out who I was in my world of work that I just, it's like blinders. So I'm, I'm nudging you if that's who you are. If you're so busy that there's just not a lot of conversation in your family, you just got to find a way to grind it out, make it happen, call them, go see them, fit it into one of your trips, do something, but just work on it a little bit and grow the foundation because you don't want to not know the people in your family in the only way you're going to know them is to fight for a relationship and talk to them. Remember, we're in the Ten Commandments. You didn't see this coming one bit. Honoring our father and mother means making family a place where real relationships are happening. At First Pres, we keep talking about real relationships, real transformation. I mean it. With everything I have, I'm dying. I'm going to spend the rest of my life on that hill. And what we mean by that is a right relationship with God and with each other. And transformation means once we start working on that as the focus, and today the focus is working to have conversations and relationships, my life changes dramatically. I'm standing right here telling you, I started following Jesus when I was 18, but I feel like I just started last week. I'm so excited about being his person. I want, I want to be as close to him as I can get, and the way it's working out with me is in these... One of the ways is in these relationships where now it matters so much in a whole new way. I got born again. Maybe you've heard that term. Challenge for you. You ready? We're going to stop talk. I'm going to stop talking for a second. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you something to do. But I'm going to ask you right now today, right sitting right here or online, I want you to be quiet, and I'm going to leave a moment of quiet here. There's going to be silence in the room. And what I want you to do is ask yourself the question, who is it? Who is it that I'm going to fight for a relationship with? There's somebody. Already your heart is rumbling. We'll be quiet just a second. Who is that person?
I'm going to give you an acronym. This just came to me this week in a gift in a place where several of us went on. I came on Thursday, so I didn't have time to get it into the slideshow. I'll get it in. I'll put it on the, I'll put it on the life group discussion guide, and we'll, it, you'll see it if you want to. The acronym, we're going to work off the word BLESS. Irregularly. We're fighting for relationship. We're fighting for conversation. We're going to address the crisis of conversation, the crisis of relationship, and we're going to use the word bless. B-L-E-S-S. You ready? So the first letter B, begin in prayer. And what I mean by that is whoever the person is that came to your mind, start talking now to God. Be raw. Tell God. Just say, God, put me in some kind of place where we can work back towards each other or we can talk, or whatever it is that you're thinking. So I don't mean run around the streets and praying out loud, and I don't mean you grab somebody and say, we're going to pray now. I don't mean that. I mean begin in a posture with God, and that's another way of saying prayer. Be blessed, begin. Begin with prayer. L, listen. Listen to that person. Reach out to them and listen to them. Ask them how they're doing. How's your job? How's school? How's your marriage? How are your children? You might even be able to have a more explicitly spiritual conversation. How is it going with you and God? How's church? Whatever. But you listen. And the way you listen is you ask good questions, you mean it, and you just be quiet. Listen. Two ears, one mouth. Do the math. Ask good questions and listen carefully and mean it. B, begin in prayer. L, listen. You're going to love the next one. What comes next in bless? E. You ready? Eat. Have a meal together. How can you not be having a great time if you're eating food together? Just eat. Go to lunch with them. Have a cup of coffee with them, but buy some kind of spinach, feta, whatever, wrap it while you're doing it. But eat. B, begin in prayer. L, listen. And that involves asking good questions. E, eat. S, serve. If you're listening well, you're going to begin to sense that there's a way that you can do something to answer the question I asked a few minutes ago. What can I do to help? Maybe there's a way that you can help. And if you hear it because you're listening, the second, B, begin in prayer. L, listen. E, eat. S, serve. One more S, story. If you listen, and if you're hanging out, and if you're growing in your conversation, sooner or later, that person's going to ask you questions, and you'll get to tell your story. And I'm hoping at some point your story will include how you're excited about how Jesus is making you into a brand new person. And in a relational way, in a natural way, that bridge of caring about them will be an invitation for you to tell them a little bit about what is at the center of your heart. You, you may have that kind of conversation. You may not. But you're still going to get to tell your story. Somebody may say, well, how's your job? And you tell them. If it sucks, then tell them it sucks. If it, things are great, then tell them it's great. B, begin in prayer. L, B, begin in prayer. L, listen. I thought I heard some music. I was dancing. B, begin in prayer. L, listen. E, have a meal together. Eat. S, serve. S, if asked, be ready to be open and vulnerable and honest and transparent. Tell your stuff. Oh, did we not just do the, we did the job, didn't we? Didn't we rebuild conversation? Aren't we fighting for relationship? Yes, we are. That's what we're doing. Honoring father and mother. Don't steal nothing. Fight for relationship. 
where's Adam in the band? We're going to sing a little teeny bit of One Thing Remains. I'm going to let them get up here. I asked two, a couple of three weeks ago when we were working on this message, and the song came to me, One Thing Remains. And the one thing that remains is God's love. And we are agents of being loved by God, and we are agents of God's love. That's what it means to fight for a relationship. We're fighting for love. God's love never ends. And let's sing a little bit of that as a way of closing here. This will be your prayer. Please stand. Think about the person that came to your mind. Think about how you're going to live a blessed life. And sing this song knowing that God is loving you with this kind of love. Get out there and get amongst them.